home as the place where you are cared for and loved the most and the place where you complain the most. Do you feel like that's an accurate definition of home? The place where you're cared for the most and the place where you complain the most. Maybe there's some parents right now giving your teenager the eye thinking, yeah, we care for you and you complain. But, you know, home is a safe place. We can complain at home. We can be ourselves at home. We can relax at home. Many years ago, I had traveled out of the country, and I was out of the U.S. for several months, and I was ready to come home, and I was catching a flight to come home for Christmas. And I was tired, uh, filled with a little bit of fear and anxiousness, ready to get home, and I boarded my flight, and it took over 48 hours before I ever landed in the U.S. So I was exhausted. I was sleep-deprived. Uh, Our flights were delayed. We landed in places we weren't supposed to land. We ran out of fuel at one point and landed somewhere else, and they never told us where we were. We ran out of food and water on the plane. It was a long travel period. In every country that we stopped in, I had to fill out a different customs form. So when I got to the U.S., we landed at the JFK airport in New York City. I waited in line. I was already going to miss my next flight that would take me to Dallas, So when I got up to where the officer was at his booth, I said, okay, what form do I need to fill out now? As I handed him my passport. He looked at my passport, he looked at me, and he said, you don't have to fill out any more forms. You're a U.S. citizen. Welcome home. And I just stared at him, and I started tearing up. And he's like, okay, you can move along now. But (laughs) it it felt so good to hear that. Like, you're you're here, you're home. Welcome home. It had been a while since I had been home. So it was nice to, to feel at home and for someone to say those those words to me, welcome home. You know, this is your home. So I don't know what comes to mind when you hear home. Maybe it's a place where you can relax and be yourself. You know, for me, home is a place where I can uh, dress however I want to, and I can eat as many Cheetos as I want to, and I can lick my fingers, and if someone judges me, it doesn't matter because they have to live with me. You know, that's, what, that's part of what home is to me. Home is a safe place where even the police can't enter your home without special permission. Someone else defined home And he said that home is a place where when you show up, they have to let you in. Maybe that would be true for some of the kids traveling home for the holidays. So home, and how we define home, what home means to us, there's several layers to it. And the first passage I want to look at comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And it doesn't use the word home, but I think it has a lot to do with home. Last week we looked at the word happiness. And we studied through Ecclesiastes. The author of Ecclesiastes identifies himself as Koheleth. That's this Hebrew word which means teacher or assembler. And we looked through a lot of passages in Ecclesiastes. And this morning we're just going to look at one from this book. And that's from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. It'll be on the PowerPoint. And I'm going to read it from a few different versions. The top one is from the NIV. And it words it this way. He has made everything beautiful in its time, referring to God. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That sounds like a great verse. What we're really going to focus on is the middle section where it says he has set eternity in the human heart. But he mentions time. He says at the beginning he has made everything beautiful in its time, and we know that as human beings we're limited to time. We live and then we die and we have a certain amount of time. And then in the last part, he says, no one can fathom what God has done. That bottom part is a translation from the ESV. 
And it says that no one can find out what God has done from beginning to end. That God has placed eternity into the human heart. I usually preach from the New Revised Standard Version. And the way that the NRSV words it, in that middle section, it says that He has put a sense of past and future into their minds. So what Koheleth is saying here, in a a sense, in a way, is the way that God created us and the way that God has wired us is that we have eternity built within our hearts and our minds. That something about this life cannot completely satisfy. It's not suitable for us. As we looked at last week, this word meaningless or vanity, which is really vapor. That all these things are just a chasing after the wind because none of them can completely satisfy. But what God has done in creating us is he has placed a longing for something else. A longing for an eternal home. John Ortberg wrote a book called Faith and Doubt. And one of the sections in this book, he talks about this feeling of being homesick. And he said that we have a homesickness built within us because God created us that way, and that is actually evidence for God. That deep within us, we're not completely satisfied with what this earth has to offer us. And because of that, that shows that God is actually there, that God exists because we're longing for something, and God has created us that way. And Orberg uses the example of the parable of the lost son from Luke chapter 15, or the parable of the prodigal son. Where in Luke 15, Jesus tells these three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the one that we know, the prodigal son, about this boy who asks his dad for his inheritance, which would have been an insult because his dad was still living. He goes off, he blows all of the money, And in the end, he has no place to turn but to go back home. And then the father greets him on the road and throws a party for him, but the older brother isn't very happy about that. That's the parable in a gist. But in a way, we're all kind of like that boy that runs off, makes some poor decisions, and we know that there is a place that we can turn to, that we need to turn to, to go home. We have a homesick feeling built within us because God has placed eternity into our hearts and into our minds. Uh, You know, I worked at Camp Deer Run for a few years, and I've been at other camps, and if you've ever worked at a camp and worked with younger kids, those first few nights can be rough because there's a lot of kids that are homesick. And I remember kids coming up and making up all kinds of uh, illnesses that they have so they need to go see the nurse so they can go home because they're separated. Some of them, for the first time ever, from what they know, their home, their parents. And so there's this feeling of homesickness, this emotion that they didn't anticipate that just comes over them. Or maybe you lived in a house and then you moved and then you find yourself thinking back to what that house used to be like. I grew up at 6418 Chapman Drive in Greenville, Texas. That was my home growing up. I still remember the home phone number, 4540410, in case you want to call it. Now you have to use an area code. That was before you had to use an area code back then. But I grew up 6418 Chapman Drive. When I was a junior in high school, we moved to 6424 Chapman Drive. We moved three houses down. We bought my grandmother's house. And we were excited about moving. Uh, It was a bigger house. I was finally going to get my own room. We moved. We sold our house. We said goodbye to that house. But those first few days and first few months in the new house, I was sad. 
And I didn't understand why. Because that wasn't home to me yet. So I I was homesick for the house that I was eager to get out of. But I still had a longing for that house. And sometimes I still drive by that house that I grew up in when I go visit my parents. And I'll stop, and if they have the garage door open or something, I'll look inside there to see what it looks like. And there's been a few times where the owner will come out and look at me, and I drive off really quickly because I, I can tell I'm creeping them out. But, it, you know, there's this longing within you that that was home. Uh, we lived on 104 Chester in Mount Pleasant, Texas, for several years. When both of my children were born, that was the home, that was the house that we brought them to. That was their first home. And when we moved out, we were excited to move out. I came back to make sure that we got everything. Everything was clean before I turned in the keys. And then I had this emotional feeling where I thought, man, this, even though I didn't really like this house that much, this was home. This was my, my children's first home. And there's all these memories and all these things that took place. And so there's different areas in life, in an earthly sense, where we have this feeling of longing, of of a homesick feeling, of a remembering, remembering what home was like growing up, you could probably think of some of those memories and some of those feelings. And just like those feelings that we have and that we experience, even if we don't anticipate them, that what Koheleth is telling us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 is that God has wired us that way except he's wired us for eternity. A longing for a permanent home. A longing for an eternal home. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, if you will. And we know that we have this longing for home. Not everybody pursues this longing. But those who live by faith pursue this longing. This was our scripture reading this morning. Um, Just to give you a quick context, the Hebrew writer is writing to first century Christians who are being persecuted, who are paying a price Uh, for their faith in in Christ. And he's encouraging them to stay faithful. The temptation that they have is when they're going to be thrown in prison or possibly killed to just say, hey, I'm with Moses, I'm not with Jesus, so they can save their earthly lives. So this whole book is, is a reminder and it's an encouragement to not fall away. And in chapter 11, he's listing all these people of faith. And he just says, by faith, by faith. And he's talking about Abraham at this point. And he stops talking about Abraham in verse 12. And he'll pick back up on Abraham in verse 17. But in verse 13 through 16, he just goes into like this summary statement. I want to read it again. He says in verse 13, All these died in faith without having received the promises. But from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land they had left behind, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. So what the Hebrew writer is doing is he is acknowledging that all these people who live by faith They never really received exactly what they wanted or what they were longing for while they were on this earth. Maybe they saw them at a distance and greeted them, but we're limited to time. We live and we die, and there's no way that the things on this earth can completely satisfy or fulfill. And so in verse 13, it says they admitted that they were strangers and foreigners on this earth. If you ever read 1 Peter 
Peter uses similar language. Why are they strangers and foreigners? Because this isn't home. And they knew that. They knew this is a temporary place. But this could never fully be home because eternity was put into their hearts and in their minds. They're strangers and foreigners. In verse 14, it said they were seeking a homeland. And what he's referring to when he says a homeland is not just a place to move to and settle down. But in verse 16, he says it's a a better country, a heavenly one, a city that had been prepared for them. So these people who lived by faith, who had eternity on their hearts and their minds, their whole lives were strangers and foreigners seeking a better country, a city that had been prepared, a homeland, a homeland with God. They were headed home. You know, this week was the World Series, and I'm not an Astros fan, uh, but I'm proud that the state of Texas won some sort of championship, so go Astros. But as I was watching the World Series, I was thinking, you know, the whole purpose of baseball, especially when you're batting, is to make it home. That's when you're safe. That's when you score a run for your team. You try to make it home. There's first base, there's second base, and there's third base, but you don't call it fourth base, do you? It's so special, it gets its own name, we call it home base. And when you leave, when you get a hit, when you get on base, you're not safe until you make it all the way back home. And I think that's what the Hebrew writer was saying about those who live by faith, is that they were strangers and foreigners on this earth headed home. Homesick, and they lived their lives with a certain trajectory. Aiming for God. And in the end, they wind up in their proper home. And it should be the same for us. It doesn't mean this life doesn't count or doesn't matter. What we're doing now matters greatly. And Jesus talks about the kingdom of God that is within you. But we also know that as we live here, as we strive, as we live for Christ, we're seeking a homeland, a permanent home someday. Flip over to John chapter 14. Last week, as we talked about happiness, we looked at John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, and I told you then that the context that we're in here is this is the last week of Jesus' life. He is uh, giving some final words to his disciples. It's kind of lengthy, and they know something's going on. They don't fully understand it, but they can feel the tension, and Jesus keeps telling them he's going away. They've given up everything to follow him, and they don't understand what he means. He's going away. So he tries to bring them some comfort. And in John chapter 14, starting in verse 1, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Uh, In our Sunday morning class, we're studying through John. And that word believe is one of those key words in the Gospel of John. Every time John in the Greek writes believe, it's always a verb. Every single time in John's gospel. So if we were to literally translate that, he would say, faith in God, faith also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Keep the faith, kind of like what the Hebrew writer was saying about all these characters who live by faith. And then in verse 2 and following, he says, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'll go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again And take you myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. 
So he's bringing them comfort. And he's saying, I'm going somewhere and you're going to get to go there with me. And it's going to be eventually. And they want to know, how do we know the way to get to the place? And that's where in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But in verse 2 is what I'm going to highlight for just a moment. He says, in my father's house are many dwelling places or many rooms. What does he mean when he says, in my father's house? If you're a first century Jew and you're hearing Jesus teach, and he says, in my father's house, no doubt you're thinking of the temple in Jerusalem. What was so unique about this temple in Jerusalem compared to all the other cities in the world? It's the only city with just one temple. You could go to any other city, and there's temples to all these different gods, but the Jews believed in one God, monotheistic God, and they had one temple for the one God in Jerusalem, and it was so large that some say they built the city of Jerusalem around the temple. Earlier in John's Gospel, in John chapter 2 and verse 16, Jesus goes and he clears out the temple, and he refers to the temple as my Father's house. And now here in John chapter 14 and verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. So what's he referring to? Is he talking about the temple in Jerusalem? I think he's taking them to a deeper place. As he's saying, it's no longer the temple in Jerusalem that we're going to refer to as my Father's house. They believe the temple was the place where heaven and earth met. But now Jesus is saying, my Father's house is another place. A heavenly place, an eternal home. And he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Now, the King James, New King James, we probably know that. I was grown up reading New King James, and it's, in my Father's house are many mansions. That's actually more of a translation from Latin, not from the Greek. So if you translate from the Greek, it's many rooms, dwelling places, or abiding places. So I think what Jesus is referring to when he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. You know, during the holiday time, you may go home, or maybe people come to your home, and you know this, because I know this by experience, that that can get crowded. You might be excited, and you have a lot of people coming in to see you, but after a few days, you're ready for them to leave because you're overcrowded. Anybody ever experienced this? Or maybe you go to a hotel, and you want to book a hotel, and you can't because the hotel's booked because they run out of space. But Jesus is saying, in my Father's house... There's plenty of space. There's plenty of room. We're not going to get overbooked. Everyone is invited. Not everybody responds to this invitation of this eternity that's placed within our hearts. Not everybody lives by faith, but there's plenty of room for those who believe in Christ. And then in chapter 14, he goes on. He makes that statement that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. And he refers to the Spirit as the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, the Spirit of truth. And then when Jesus goes away, referring to his death, burial, and resurrection, he's saying, I'm going to send the Spirit. That's what he's referring to in John chapter 14. And we know that when the apostles teach about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, they say that you receive the Spirit of God when you're baptized into Christ. But what I want to focus on for just a moment chapter 14, verse 23 of John. I think he's talking about the Spirit, but he's also talking about home. Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. 
So there's that word home again. I absolutely believe that when he says this, he's referring to that spirit, the Holy Spirit that he's talking about. That that's how he's going to make his home within you. But isn't that an amazing thought? That the God who they would travel all the way to Jerusalem yearly to make these sacrifices, who they believed existed somewhere in that temple, the God who we believe created everything that we see will make, take up residence within ourselves. Jesus said, if you believe in me, if you follow my word, we will make our home within you. Now, as I've reflected on this passage all week, the one thing I keep thinking is that's a game changer for me. If Jesus says, I want to make my home within you, that should mean a lot to us. You've heard that statement, home is where you are, home is where your family is. For me, wherever my wife and my kids are, that's where home is. We've lived in many houses, but that's where home is. And in a spiritual way, what Jesus is saying is, wherever you are, I am there with you if you have the Spirit of Christ. I make my home within you. It's hard to talk about home without at least referencing the fact that some people on this earth are actually homeless. And I think as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be concerned for those who have no home. Last week, uh, when it was really cold for a few days, bitterly cold, I went to a football game and I was freezing and I came home. And the one thing I thought when I came home was, I'm about to walk into a home and be able to turn on the heater and sleep in a bed. But there's a lot of people out there who were not prepared for this Texas cold front who are sleeping outside. And the reason that I have a concern for that is because I believe studying the life and teachings of Jesus that he places that concern within me. And I think we should have a concern and compassion and be moved to action for those who have no home. Like myself, who who have the luxury of having a home, there are others who don't. But I think we should also be concerned for those who have what I would call, they have no John 14, 23 home. They don't have a home in the sense that God has not made his home within them yet. And I think we should have a concern and compassion to help people feel at home with God and to spread the message of Christ so that others can also have this home. Because built within us, built within our hearts and in our minds, is a longing for an eternal home. So people might be more receptive than we may think. Uh, in Colombia, there is a, what's called the FARC, which stands for the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. And this is basically a rebel army that they're terrorists. And they kidnap children and teenagers and brainwash them. And force them to become soldiers. So people all over Colombia are trying to do the best they can to what they call demobilize and bring home some of these soldiers. And it's not an easy task. And so they came up with an idea to broadcast on the radio a mother's voice inviting these soldiers to come home. But it didn't work that well because it wasn't their mother's voice. And so they decided we need to speak to the human being, not the soldier. So in 2010, they came up with what was called Operation Christmas. And they snuck out into the jungle where these rebel armies are, and they decorated these huge trees with Christmas lights. 
So when the soldiers were walking through the forest, it was motion censored. The trees would light up like Christmas. And then there was a recorded message that would say, which you see on the screen, if Christmas can come to the jungle, then you can come home. These are guys that have been brainwashed, that are tough rebel soldiers. And somehow that spoke to them. And they said after that, after that Christmas, or during that Christmas time in 2010, 331 soldiers demobilized and came home. So that's a successful mission. So they wanted to try something else the next year, and they did what's called Operation Rivers of Light, where they got these little plastic, translucent plastic balls, and they put a light in them with a little gift and a little message. And they sent 7,000 of them into the river, And it floated down the river where these rebel soldiers would have been walking in the jungle. And they were drawn to that light. They couldn't help it. So they went and they would pick it up and they would open it up and read these gifts. And that worked even better than the project the year before. And they averaged every six hours a different soldier was demobilizing and coming home. Since they started this project, they said they've had over 17,000 rebel soldiers come home. And they celebrate. There's a homecoming when they do come home. And in a way, so many of us are like that. Kind of like that prodigal son. Or maybe we spent many years running away from what is home. What is God? What is our Father waiting on that road for us? And maybe it is time to come home for some of you. Or maybe some of you are wanting a child or a friend or a family member to come back home. This morning, when we offer this invitation, if you need a special prayer, this is a good time to maybe grab a shepherd who will be standing around in the back and to ask them to pray for someone to come home. Or if you yourselves want to come home and let God make his home in you, then you have the opportunity to respond to this invitation as well. Let's stand and sing. Tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See, on the portals he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me.
days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant Moses' righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trials, of famine and darkness and sword, still we are the voice in the desert crying, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, lift your voice, it's the year of jubilee.